Be Wealthy and Smart, Episode 5. financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Hello, and welcome back to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. Last time, we talked about how to get rich, and we talked about the first step to wealth, which was creating a wealthy mindset. On today's show, we're going to talk about the second step to wealth, which is saving a nest egg. Saving a nest egg. This show is about how to save a nest egg and whether you should save money or invest money and pay off debt and why it's crucial that you have a nest egg. This show is going to help you how to build a nest egg and get you started on your path to financial freedom. You've got to begin to accumulate or borrow capital in order to start wealth building. You have to start with something. Whether you have nothing, whether you have $1,000 to invest, 10000 or 100000 it doesn't really matter. But that amount that you have as your nest egg times your return on investment or your ROI, return on investment, is what's going to equal the wealth that you're building. It's what's going to create the wealth you're building. And we'll talk about money engines and areas to invest in future shows, but you need some money to get started. And there's no magic number. It's what's right for you. There may be some of you out there who've just been through bankruptcy and have nothing to start with. And that's okay. I want to encourage everyone, no matter where you're starting from, it doesn't matter because there are very, very wealthy people that have actually gone bankrupt, millionaires and billionaires that have gone bankrupt and become millionaires and billionaires again. So it's possible to start from nothing and to create lots and lots of money. So I don't want you to worry about where you're starting from. That's not important. What's important is you've made the decision to build wealth. And you're here with me today because you're following up on that. You're following through on that decision to build wealth and doing something different. You know, most people, if you ask them, do you want to be wealthy? They'll say, well, of course I want to be wealthy. And then you ask, well, what are you doing as a strategy to get wealthy? And they'll kind of look at you with a blank stare and be like, what are you talking about? I work really hard and then I go home and I watch television and I relax. And then I do the same thing all over again the next day. But they don't realize that even if they just made a small little tweak, if they just changed a little bit about what they were doing, they've just thought about it and had a strategy, they very well could make a lot of money. And that happened to me, and I'm sure it can happen to you. So we're going to get creative about finding money for you, okay? We're going to find money around your house. We're going to find money in your life. We're going to find some ways for you to maybe have some extra income. But we are going to uncover some extra money for you. So the first place I want you to look for extra money is in your garage. It's in your garage because oftentimes there's an extra car or motorbike or bicycle or other toys out there that maybe you don't use very often anymore. Or maybe your kids used to use and they're all grown up now. 
or maybe there's old furniture that you can sell in a garage sale. So all of those things could be something you could look at to get your nest egg started. And obviously the more you have to start with, the easier and the faster it is to get to your seven figure goal. So to build a nest egg, first of all, we wanna start with whatever income you have coming in, saving 10% right off the top is the old rule of paying yourself first. And that's a rule that I love. It's, it's you know held the test of time and people have used it with great success. Now that things are automated and we have technology, you can actually go in and let's say you have your paycheck automatically deposited to your bank account. You can go in and then have money transfer automatically from your checking account into a savings account. So that 10% can come right off the top without you thinking about it. The more automatic it is, the better it is. And uh, get that 10% or more, if you can, put into your savings account. Now, if you, can, if you can't save 10%, then save whatever you can. If it's 1%, 2%, 5%, fine, just save something. If you really can't save anything, because you don't have any extra money, then that uh, we will work on. But for right now, you know, most people, if they put 10% into their savings account and then they spend out of the 90% in their checking account, usually they never miss that 10%. They never miss it. They never miss it. And even Warren Buffett had this to say about saving and spending. He said, do not save what is left over after spending. Spend what is left over after saving. Now, there you go. That is exactly what we've talked about in a nutshell. Another very wealthy man that I love to study who lived uh, in the early 1900s was John D. Rockefeller, one of the most wealthy men ever in history. And it is reported that he lived below his means to start a savings account, and he calculated his net worth every day to track his progress. Now, you know that I love the mindset side of money and investing and wealth building. And so to me, this says, whatever you focus on expands. So here he was focusing on his net worth every day, and it started to expand and expanded until he actually became not only one of the wealthiest men of his day, but the wealthiest men in all of history. Pretty amazing. So you don't have to calculate your net worth every day, but... I do calculate my net worth just about every January 1st. And I've done this for years, and it's really been fun to see my net worth grow over time. And of course, sometimes there's years when it doesn't grow if the real estate market has a problem or the stock market has a problem. Sometimes, you know, it's affected. But over time, it is nice to see how your net worth can grow. And your net worth is just a starting point. What net worth is, is all of your assets minus all of your liabilities, and that equals your net worth. So you want to take that snapshot of where you're starting from and put it in your wealth journal that you started last week, right? That blank notebook that you've got that you're going to keep notes from our show and from all the things you're doing. But the net worth calculation is important because it does give you the snapshot of where you're starting, and it does help you track how well you're doing over time. So... What you want to do is take all of your assets, that would be your home, your cars, your boat, your business, your real estate rentals, 
your apartment buildings that you own are land, uh, furniture, antiques, uh, baseball card collection, coin collection, jewelry collection, gemstone collection, anything that you could sell for value, you should put the value that it would sell for as the asset value. So in other words, if you bought a piece of furniture, a couch for $5,000, but you could only sell it for 1,000, then only put 1,000 in the asset column. So it's basically what could you sell something for. Obviously, if you have antique furniture and it's been increasing in value, then you put the increased value over and above what you paid for it. So you have all your assets together, then you calculate all of your liabilities. That would be any mortgage you have on your home, any car debt, boat debt, lines of credit, business debt, credit cards, college debt, uh, any debt that you have. That would be in your liability column. And then you take your assets minus your liabilities and that equals your net worth. So it's just good to calculate that number. We'll use that as a starting point and you can keep track of your net worth over time and watch how it grows. For your nest egg, you can sell some things or you can make some extra income. That's, you know, either sell stuff you already have or try to make more money, have more income come in. But to find money, I su suggest you start in your garage or in your closets. Those are always good places to find some extra things. And ladies, you can find some expensive shoes, clothing, handbags that you could uh, consign as well. There's things like crafts that maybe you're good at making that you could sell on the website Etsy, E-T-S-Y, that uh, takes crafty type items. If you can sew, if you are crafty, I have a friend who makes beautiful bronze fountains. I mean, she could definitely sell them over on Etsy and make a lot of money for those. Uh, you could also sell them on eBay, perhaps. You could also consider extra income sources, such as a part-time business or things that you do on the side. Again, hobbies you have that you could turn into a business uh, or an extra money maker. So maybe you like to make wine. Uh, perhaps you could make wine for the neighbors and, and they give you an order and you make it, bottle it, and then deliver it right to their door and make some extra money on the side. Um, a lot of people are feeling really bogged down with debt right now. That's something that, you know, we hear all over is credit card debt. And I had a, an acquaintance who was a single gal in, in her 20s. And she came to me one time and she said, you know, I have a lot of credit card debt. I don't really know how to get rid of it. Um, what can I do? And she said, you know, it, it was just really irresponsible. I spent too much, but it's going to take me forever to pay this off. And I'm really frustrated and I'm not spending anymore, but what do I do? And I said, well, let's look at increasing your cash flow. What are you, what are you doing right now for work? And she said, well, I work in a Pilates studio. And I said, okay, well, that's not a huge moneymaker. Do you have any other things you do or used to do? And she said, well, actually, I used to model. And I said, you used to model? Oh my gosh, well, that would certainly earn you thousands of dollars. Can you do that some more? And she said, yeah, I, I could go do that. And I said, well, let's go get you doing some more modeling. And I said, what's your living situation? She said, well, I've got a two-bedroom apartment. I have a boyfriend. He's out of town. Um, I've been thinking maybe I should rent out that extra room. 
I said, absolutely, rent out the extra room to a friend and um, take in some extra cash that way. She did both those things and it made a huge difference in paying off her debt. She got it paid off very, very quickly. So you just need to get a little creative about, you know, what are your talents? What, what resources do you have? Can you advertise something on Craigslist? Could you put something on Fiverr.com, F-I-V-E-R-R.com, which is where people will do things for five bucks, but they'll also hire you and pay you a lot more if you're good at what you do. Maybe you're, maybe you like to uh, work with Photoshop and people need someone to help them with some different design work. You could do Photoshop on the side. Um, there's also another website called taskrabbit.com, T-A-S-K-R-I-B-B-I-T.com. And taskrabbit.com, basically in the neighborhood, you can write down what you would, you know, what you would do for extra work or what people write down what they would want for extra work. And then you can be the one to do that work if you want to. So, um, TaskRabbit just connects people locally in their own neighborhood, and that way you can be matched up with either the the talent or the thing you want to have done. Uh, Another friend of mine is a personal concierge and runs errands for people, pays their bills, does their groceries, does dog sitting, brings the dogs to her home, and does dog sitting while people are out of town. that's an extra, you know, those are extra things you could do for cash. You could have your kids put out the trash for elderly people. If you have elderly people that live on your street, just, you know, have your kids put out the trash the day that the garbage man is coming. Or maybe you're good at organizing closets. So you can organize people's, you know, master bedroom closets. Or if they're moving, you can organize them and put things into boxes so that when they get to the new house, it's very easy to find everything and they can put their house back together very quickly. Or maybe even organize kitchen pantries. I mean, there's all kinds of things. If that's your passion is organizing, then use that as your skill to make a side amount of income. If you're a higher income earner or technically skilled, you could be a consultant of some sort and consult people in their small business or do something with that uh, skill on the side. So just think about what you're good at, what's easy for you. Oftentimes we don't value what's easy for us because we think everybody else can do it. But the truth is most people aren't good at the same things that we're good at. So why don't you think about what you love to do, what your hobbies are, what you're good at, and maybe you can turn that into a little moneymaker on the side if you need some extra cash for your nest egg. So I'm often asked this question, should I save a nest egg or should I use the money to pay off debt? Well, the first thing I would ask is what is your risk tolerance? Your risk tolerance, because obviously investing involves risk. And what's hard when you already have debt is that fear makes it hard to invest. And it's hard to do both. It's hard to have debt and try to invest because if you're trying to invest and you're risking some capital, then you, you think, oh my gosh, I could have used that to pay off my debt. So of course, it's, it's a very difficult balance to try to do both. So I usually focus people on paying off the debt But if they can do a little bit of savings at the same time, maybe just do a little bit of that automatic savings I mentioned and moving some from the checking to the savings account, that's a good thing too. But I would focus mostly on paying off the debt instead of trying to do both at the same time because mentally it's just going to be hard for you to take that investment risk. So 
I also want you to understand how paying off debt is like earning interest uh, in an investment. So for example, if you have a line of credit and the line of credit is currently charging 5.84% interest, if you paid off that line of credit, that's the same as if you were earning 5.84% in a savings account. Because if you're not having to pay the 5.84%, then it's like you're earning it. So I want you to look at your debt as if whatever debt you pay off, it's like you're earning that. So if you have high interest credit cards and you pay off those high interest credit cards first, 21% or whatever, that's like earning 21% because you don't have to pay the 21%. So that's a very important way for you to look at debt, that whatever you pay off, it's like you're earning that. All right, so we have a listener question on this show. And it is, my husband and I are 60 years old. He wants to buy an RV, a recreational vehicle. And I don't think it's a good idea. Can you help me? Well, when you're 60 years old and you're looking at buying a recreational vehicle, that is a tough thing because not only the financial angle of that should you consider, but also the lifestyle angle of that. So we'll start with the lifestyle angle, okay? When you look at a recreational vehicle, you're actually, you know, bringing the room with you when you're traveling. And some people think that sounds fun. Some people think that's, you know, a great thing to do. And believe me, if you have an RV and you enjoy it, you know, good for you. That's great. But if you're thinking about buying one, here's some things to think about. It's not always a vacation because there's a lot of work. I mean, there's there's cooking to do, there's cleaning to do, there's grocery shopping to do, there's sheets to wash. It's, you know, there is a lot of work that comes to, comes with an RV. There's also a lot of expense that comes with an RV. There's insurance and gas and repairs and maintenance and depreciation. And, you know, it is quite expensive. So it's not really that less of an expensive way to travel, in my opinion. I could be wrong on that, but I think that it's not really a less expensive way to travel. There are a lot of people that do it as a luxury way to travel, and they have luxury coaches, and I get that. Uh, But understand that when you're 60 years old and you're looking at making that amount of a purchase, that's a lot of money, and it's right before you're going to need money for retirement. So I would really say, think a lot about do you really want to take on this debt when you're that close to retirement? Think about the fact this is a depreciating asset. So whatever you buy it for, it's going to be worth less in the future. You're going to lose money on it. And that can be a huge mistake because retirement is a capital intensive time. It's a time where you need a lot of savings. You need a lot of cash. You typically don't need a lot of assets, particularly one that you can't use all the time and that you could quite easily rent and probably be very happy just renting and going on trips. And that would be fine. So I would say if you could focus on appreciating assets that will provide income or growth for you in retirement, rather than purchasing a depreciating asset, that would be a crucial thing for you to do. And millionaires in general um, look at appreciating assets. They realize that cars and RVs, motorcycles, boats, you know, vacations, those are things that just money goes out the door. And certainly the assets um, are worth less in the future. I remember years ago, I was um, doing some work and I was in a bank. And the bank had all kinds of signs about take a loan for, 
you know, a vacation, take a loan for appliances in your kitchen, take a loan for a remodel, take a loan for a swimming pool, and all this, you know, listed what you should take a loan for. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, you know, this is exactly the opposite of what's going to make you wealthy, because these are all depreciating assets. These are all things that you're going to be paying money interest back for and not gaining any return on your money. So typically you don't want to be putting your money in depreciating assets. You want to really look at appreciating assets. And as far as uh, while we're talking about retirement, I also want to say it's my opinion that you should not pay off your mortgage before you start saving for retirement. I know there's um, some conversation about that. I really think that you need to start saving for retirement before you pay off your mortgage debt. And the reason for that is you really won't be able to save enough money for retirement if you're focused on paying off your mortgage debt. And having a mortgage is not always a bad thing unless you don't have very much equity in your home. If you don't have very much equity in your home, like 10% or less, that's an issue. But If you have, and I would shoot for at least 30% equity in your home, um, it's not a bad thing to have a mortgage. It actually increases your rate of return on your home investment. And I'll give you an example. Just for an easy number, let's say your house is worth $100,000. And let's say you have no mortgage on your house and housing goes up by $10,000. So $10,000 increase on your $100,000 house is a 10% increase. Now, let's say instead of having no mortgage, you bought the house with $10,000 down, you borrowed $90,000 on that $100,000 house. The house went up $10,000 in value. That's actually a 100% return on your money because you put $10,000 down and you made $10,000. So do you see how having debt on your house creates a higher rate of return? It created a 100% rate of return on that $10,000 increase versus a 0% rate of return on, or a 10% rate of return rather, on your um, zero mortgage situation. So it went from 10% return to 100% return, a 10 times return by using leverage on your home. Now your mortgage strategy usually will depend on your age. If you're a young person, I really encourage you not to pay off your mortgage because it means you'll be losing a tax deduction, you'll lose that increased return from leverage that I just explained, and you'll lose the opportunity to make money elsewhere with the money that you've paid off your mortgage with. Maybe the cycle that we're in, real estate isn't the best place to earn money. And so maybe the best place isn't to have it in your home and have your home paid off. If you're older, I understand how you're approaching retirement and how you wanna get your debt paid off. But I would say only worry about your mortgage after you have a healthy retirement fund set up. Don't wait to set up the retirement fund to have your house paid off first because it's actually helping you get a better rate of return and helping your wealth building by using leverage with your home. That's why many times people's homes are their best investments, not only because the real estate market has gone up, but also because we use leverage. And when leverage is used correctly, it's actually a wealth building tool. So that's why uh, a lot of millionaires have used other people's money, OPM, other people's money, 
uh, and that has been a tried and true wealth building tool over years and years and years is using leverage wisely. So you want to use leverage for appreciating assets. You don't want to use it for consumer debt. You don't want to use it for depreciating assets, but you do want to use it for appreciating assets. Also, on your home mortgage, one thing you can do is make one extra payment a year, and that will save you thousands of dollars. So one, maybe even two extra payments a year is such a great idea. And again, for easy math, let's say your payment is $1,200 a month. A one-twelfth payment is a hundred extra dollars um, added on to your $1,200 payment. So you would pay an extra hundred dollars or an extra one-twelfth of your mortgage because 12 of those payments will equal one extra payment per year. So um, $100 a month times 12 months, you'd pay one $1,200 additional payment. So 13 $1,200 payments, and that would reduce your mortgage by six years and several thousand dollars. Now, I really think it's important that you don't have the bank control this, okay? Do not ask the bank to do this for you. Just add the extra money onto your regular um, mortgage and send it into the bank. Don't ask them to do a 15-year mortgage. Don't ask them to do um, the extra principal um, deduction from your account and pay them a fee for that. It's expensive. You don't need that. And you want the flexibility, frankly, of if you have lean times in the future of being able to be flexible. And if you have good times in the future, you can pay in more. So, but always shoot for making one extra payment a year, preferably, possibly two extra payments a year. That will even reduce your mortgage more and save you even more thousands of dollars. So I really don't recommend a 15-year mortgage. The reason for that is I've seen many clients who have gotten into trouble with a 15-year mortgage. Their intentions were good, their payments were higher, and then they got into some kind of either one of them got laid off or a situation happened where their income went down. And this was a, a true story where a client I had was in advertising and she was very successful in advertising. They put their house on a 15-year mortgage and their intention was they wanted to get it paid off quickly. Well, unfortunately, through the 2007 and 8 financial crisis, a lot of companies stopped paying for advertising and she's on commission. So guess what? Her income went down quite a bit. And on top of that, there had been a couple of uh, problems with her credit, which meant when they tried to go and refi their house, they could not get a new loan. So she had less income. They were stuck in this 15-year mortgage of higher payments, and um, the credit was, was not good, so they couldn't refi. They ended up having to cash in their 401k, and it was very frightening. And we finally got her to a credit counselor. We got the credit cleaned up. And then gradually her income started to come back and she started to be a top salesperson again. So more income was coming in. Then they were able to refi their mortgage and get back to a 30-year mortgage. But I've, I've seen that happen over and over where people have a good intention. They go to a 15-year mortgage and then unfortunately they're stuck in that and it's a higher payment. They don't have the flexibility. By paying one or two extra payments per year, it gives you that flexibility to save thousands of dollars and get it down to almost a 15-year mortgage. 
but you have control. You maintain control. You don't give the bank that control. So I really recommend you don't go to a 15-year mortgage. You know, credit is just two, two sides of the same coin. Credit is actually a good thing. And we're always happy when, we're, when we have a lot of credit available. But then when we borrow credit, suddenly we feel bad about it. Suddenly we're like, oh my gosh, there's debt and I owe this and I owe that. Well, I understand that you don't want to use it for credit, for consumer credit purposes, but credit is a good thing. So pat yourself on the back if you have credit. And if you have debt, we'll, we'll get you out of that over time. But make sure that your mindset isn't super negative around that because credit is really a good thing. It's, and, and having it is a positive in your life. And it can be paid off over time. And using the steps that we talked about during this show, you'll see that there's lots of different ways that you can get yourself out of that. So the action steps I want you to take are setting up the automatic savings that goes from your checking account into your savings account, preferably saving 10%, hopefully more if you can. I want you to set up that extra mortgage payment. You don't have to set it up with the bank. Again, do not pay the bank a fee to do this. Just make an extra 1 12th payment of your mortgage on every payment. Just add in the extra principal. And give thanks for your credit. You're credit worthy and give thanks for that. Feel good about that. What we learned today is we talked about whether you should save money to invest or whether you should pay off debt and why it's crucial for you to save a nest egg how to build a nest egg and different ideas for you to either find it by selling some things or making some more income, but that you need to have a nest egg to get started on your path to financial freedom, that you don't want to use debt for depreciating assets, and why I prefer 30-year mortgages over 15-year mortgages for flexibility and how to add an extra payment a year or two extra payments a year to get your mortgage down to paid in 24 years. If you make one extra payment, you're going to save six years, excuse me, off your mortgage and you can save thousands of dollars. So if you're eager to start on the first step to wealth, your wealthy mindset, go over to my website, bewealthyandsmart.com and sign up for 21 days to a wealthy mindset. I have daily emails and videos and information to help you change from thinking lack to thinking wealth in 21 days. How you think is the foundation for everything else that we're doing. So get started now by removing those limiting beliefs. That's BeWealthyAndSmart.com. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.